Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Mark Slaughter is a screaming singer, ripping guitar player, and a fantastic songwriter. He's been in the rock and roll business over 30 years. He's been everywhere, seen everything, and still loves every day of it. He's still as creative as ever, and he writes and plays guitar every day. And I've been lucky enough with my careers that I was able to meet him, work on a project or two, and thankful to reconnect for a little thinking and drinking. Here's Mark Slaughter. Mark Slaughter. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. Good to How see you. you. Good to see you. Too. Great, man. Great. You know, Bart and I have known each other a long time, but it's like one of those things that life we're just catching up a little bit just prior to this. It's like, God, man, how many years have gone by? We're like counting fingers and toes to figure out when it was, oh, you know? Makes yeah, me feel crazy. like makes me feel like we're getting a little older than Oh uh, man, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I approached that in my last solo record. I was just like, man, you know, it, you know, it's, it was called Halfway There, but that was three years ago. So I'm more than halfway at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got more time behind me than in front of me, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So have you been staying COVID busy, staying inside, just rocking? You know, no shows. Our last show that we had, we had one show at the Mississippi State Fair where they were trying to do it properly and people didn't follow the guidelines at all. But um, other than that, our last show was in March. So it's almost been a year since we were actually doing shows and – Man, I've I played on some some really crazy projects just just to be a part of something, you know. Yeah. Um, writing, I think everybody's got some really good songs that are going to come out of this, but you know, yeah. I, I, I as as I said to you before, it's just kind of one of those things that you, you you really need to step back and just go, is this the right song for the right moment? You know, because you yeah. never know. It's got to be right. Man. Well, so you were born in Las Vegas, right? As a, as a small child, yep. Um, is there anybody else in your family that's musical? Um, well, my mom on my mom's side, uh, my my aunts and uncle, my grandmother—they were all musical. In fact, I think uh, one of my aunts uh, taught at Brigham Young as a professor of music, so it's kind of in the blood that way. Dang. Um, they. I, you know, I didn't know him real well because I was, you know, just a little kid. My mom moved away from the family to, to Vegas to be with my dad. And so, you know, I was around it when I was really, you know, first year of, of living, I was around a lot of music. So that's probably why it's, it resonates so well in the blood and also being around it when I was really young. Yeah. So, well, how did you get into singing and playing guitar and stuff? I, I loved records, man. There's something about, you know, and, you know, Partridge Family and Beatles and Monkeys and all the stuff that was happening at that time when I was a kid. I just loved everything. I, I mean, my for me, what I ended up getting for my chores every week because I wanted a 45 record. So that nice. was my... That was my allowance? payment. That was my allowance for, for being a good kid. So, you know, and, you know, I look back on it and I realize how much I was really... You know, it's funny. You, you, music is almost mathematical, and yeah. and uh, I'll I'll put on the seventies on Sirius, and I'll hear a song, and I'll just go, and I and I realized that I was dissecting all the parts of these songs, bass, drums, everything, but I didn't realize I was doing that yeah. as, you know, as a young child. And then you come back and you go, "How the hell do I remember this shit?" You know. <laughs> You can't can't remember where you put your coffee this morning, but you know you remember all that. So um, it becomes like a muscle memory thing, and uh, um, I just love music, man. I mean, people say, well, "What do you do?" Well, you know, I'll do the things around here at the farm, you know, feed the animals and all that. But then, then I'm sitting in here. This is what I love to do, man. You know? Yeah, I'm the same exact way. It's like my wife keeps going, like, "When are you going to get a hobby?" It's like a hobby. Right. I, don't, I don't need a hobby. Yeah. I can go downstairs and play guitar or, or something. Yeah. And it's funny because it's, it seems to some it is 
like not a hobby. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a music business first. It's not the music fun, but if you have a love for it and it's your passion, you'd want to do your passion for a living. And that's what we've been able to exactly. do, which is you know, freaking amazing in that side of it, you know? Exactly. Well, you have your voice, man, has such a range and you can whisper a, a lyric or you can scream it. And, and like, how did you find out or figure out that you could do what you do with your voice? When I, again, when I was really young, I sang with records all the time and, and uh, um, in fifth grade, uh, they had a choir tryout. And I was like, oh, that'd be fun. You know, I really wasn't a sports kid. I had asthma really bad, mm. which is another reason why I'm come really on lockdown because I've had asthma really bad as a kid, really bad, like hospitalized with it. Oh, man. And, and uh, my lungs are really healthy and huge now. And I think yeah. it actually helped me in the long run because I actually worked at getting, you know, building up air. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I auditioned for this choir and I got in. And it was two gals that played acoustic guitar and we sang folk songs. So I was introduced and I'm watching them play guitar and I go, God, that's not that hard. <laughs> so I said, can you show me a couple of those things in the chords? Can you show me a couple of those things that you, your finger things? And they kind of wrote it out for me. And I went back home and my sister had bought me a uh, guitar from Mexico and, and I'm not exaggerating. It was the strings are probably an inch off the fretboard. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I still went back home and practiced it, and I have really strong hands. And I I took my uh, guitar into the school and said, "Look what I can do." And the teacher said, "You need a real guitar." And they told my parents, and that's when my guitar started at the age eleven. Wow! So I was already singing as a young kid, but then I became obsessed with guitar. So like, guitar became my whole world. I taught guitar until I actually. Uh, joined the Vinnie Vincent invasion. Then I put my guitar down. Yeah. And I put that down for, you know, two and a half years. It was, it, and it's odd because it was such a part of my, I was teaching guitar. Right. When, when Dana called me, I was actually a teacher. So it's, you know, my voice is a natural ability. You don't, and I still don't look at it as like, yeah, I'm just a singer. I, I, I still have a love for playing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. As well, you should. Yeah. With your voice, I mean, obviously, you don't smoke or drink, and I no, assume no. you eat pretty healthy. Is there anything you really do consciously to take care of your voice? Um, I think probably the, the hardest thing as a singer is to shut up. Mm. And uh, because if you start talking a little like this, that's your, your chords are actually flapping like this, and they rub. And that's more damaging. When you get tired, your voice right. actually you start doing damage, more damage to your voice by talking than singing. Yeah. Because so, so for me, it's, it's a lot of times I'll just be like, man, you know, the guys would be like, Hey man, we're going to go have a drink and hang out and, and da, 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 da. And I'll, I said, well, I got another show tomorrow. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Yeah. And they understand it's not anything personal. It's just that I, I'm taking the responsible, the responsible route. Yeah. And just staying in and resting because that's as a singer, it's just what you have to do. So, you know, as a guitar player, I've done the scrap metal thing with those guys and that's fun because yeah, I know I have to sing a couple songs. I can go out there and <laughs> they have, yeah, a totally different mindset, you know? Plus if you're, if you, if you go to the bar with the band, you're the front man, you're the singer, people are going to gravitate to you. Now you're in a bar where the noise level is through the roof and you're, you're talking and you're talking really loud. Right. And that's what, that's what hurts your voice, you know, yeah. more so than anything. I think that's a, the biggest thing. And that's also, you know, when we were in the heyday, uh, we'd wake up, do the morning show, or, you know, after driving all night and then we do like an afternoon thing with the radio and then we do uh, a meet and greet prior to the performance, possibly acoustic performance and we'd play and then we would hop on a bus and drive. And, and that's what we would do in the early side of our career. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, that to me was, was pretty taxing because of yeah. all the talking, not the singing because you know, that was really, you know, 40 minutes on the, on the kiss tour, you know, it right. was like, it was quick. Yeah. You know, we were done five, six songs in and we're like, good night, you know? So, <laughs> um, but the all, everything in between was, was the taxing part. 
I think laughing is hard on a voice too. Yeah, yeah, it is. It and is. when you're in a band, obviously you're just completely you, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. You're just busting chops the whole time. I, yeah, I really think probably I laughed harder in that first tour than I probably ever did. I mean, we just laughed at everything. We just really enjoyed life, and and you know, with with Tim, he was such a character, and and uh, you know, that's. It, it, it's just one of those things you think back and you go, my God, that's just crazy. Some of the stupidity that went on, but yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm still here. It's all good. You know, I never was a drinker. I would never did drugs. You know, I, it wasn't until I, my divorce that I actually had, you know, any tequila really <laughs> had any, but that was about it, you know, but I've never had, I've never had a hangover and I've never thrown up from drinking. So Man. I guess I'm not much, I'm not a, I'm not a professional drinker (laughs) (laughs) by any means. So you said you were teaching guitar up until you joined Vinnie Vincent. Was, was that your first band? No, I had uh, a band called excursion that I did when I was 17. And that actually was out on a label called uh, green. It was green world distribution. And it's what Motley Crue actually did. They went on green world distribution and then they got signed with Electra, okay. and we were like, "Wow, it worked for those guys." So we called up as kids to Green World Distribution, so we have a record. And they said, "Well, if it's done, just send it to it, and we'll sell it." And they did, and they we sold quite a few. This little EP we did, and it was called Excursion with an X. And uh, you know, I was seventeen, and yeah. I look back, I go, "Oh man, you know, I, it's not great, but for seventeen-year-old, it was." You know, it was, it was pretty cool. We, we had a big stage show. We were doing a lot of stuff. We were into marketing, had a logo, sold T-shirts. I mean, we were doing a lot of stuff as kids. And I think that that was just the plan of how we, yeah, you know, how I, I built, you know, basically was found. You yeah. know, there's, and uh, it's funny is that, you know, you just go out there and you just do what you can do. And there's, if you've got the songs and you've got the talent, you can find a place for yourself, but there is no magic button or magic way to be in this industry. It's just doing yeah, no more kidding. than anything. No kidding. So how did the Vinnie Vincent thing, you said Dana called you. Did you, did you know Dana before? This I all met Dana. Down? Yeah, I met Dana. He was producing a band called, uh, he was producing a band called Sin Rick Fox's sin and they were looking for a lead vocalist and I got a call from from Dana saying hey listen why don't you come down your name was thrown in the hat to be a singer and I was like well I'm a guitar player singer well they need a singer and I'm like okay and it's funny because he had reached out to me and Mike Varney who oh, discovered yeah. Yngwie and everything yeah. he was like lighting up my phone all the time he's like hey I got this great band hey I got this great band and I'm like yeah okay and I kept auditioning for different things but it wasn't something that i was like you know i'm gonna put the guitar down indefinitely yeah but it was like for a band called icon um there was a uh paul gilbert was doing starting racer x oh wow and they asked me to do it um i did a quick demo and they used part of my melodies i was already joining Vinny. i knew i was going to join Vinny at that point yeah but i still did it anyway as a backup and uh um and Vinny was, uh, you know, it, it was more of the label that was really into the young kid than it was Vinny. Right. Um, so I think in some ways, I think I was pushed on him. Robert Fleischman had already done the record, but they said, well, let's just have the kid come to, come in and, and do the tour because Robert wasn't going to do the tour. So I stepped in and they were like, you know, here he is, you know, and I'm just, I'm the 21 year old kid, you know, you think about it, it's pretty crazy. I'm (laughs) on MTV and, and my first tour was with Alice Cooper, which a huge fan of. And then it was Iron Maiden, which I was even a bigger fan of, you know, on that side. So I, I was like, God, this is just crazy, man. You know, you know, here I am living my dream and, and, uh, you know, I was just flashing a pan. I mean, I wasn't making any money. Yeah. But I was living a dream. So this the song, I mean, and I know I'm jumping around here, but it had to be so cool. Like you said, you're 21 years old and Love Kills gets on right. Nightmare on Elm Street, which right. is one of the biggest movie franchises of the time, of course. Right. That was involved? 88. 88. Yeah. Okay. 
Were you involved yeah. in writing that song or was it already done? You know, Vinny's a great writer. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, that, that, uh, that, you know, he didn't do anything. He's a great writer. I think that, you know, Dana embellished on, on the tracks. I embellished on the tracks. I mean, it's just like somebody, any other musician that plays on yeah. somebody's stuff. I, you know, you, you put yourself in it, but you know, he wrote those things and he's a great writer. I never take that away from him. But, you know, again, I was a writer and I was a guitar player and, yeah, and, you know, he recognized that, but he didn't want me to go near a guitar. And, uh, but anyway, we, uh, um, it was crazy because it was the end of the tour. We knew it was going to be done and we were going through Sacramento and I had been speaking to Mike bone. Who's a label. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, president. And Mike said to me, he goes, look, just finish this tour with this guy and I'll make it right for you. And I said, okay. Cause he knew that the nightmare in Elm street was, was going to be coming out. And right. so anyway, we're sitting at, at a, at a bar at the cow palace, Dana and I having lunch for sound check, you know, typical musician thing. And <laughs> we looked up and MTV was on, you know, one of the few places that were, you know, it was just MTV was really just, you know, getting his uh, wheels going. And I looked up and, and Danny goes, look at that. And I looked up at the screen and it said the Vinnie Vincent invasion featuring Mark Slaughter. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. And I had like two shows to go. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, they're picking up my option because I had to sign a leaving member agreement saying that if I left the band that I would have to write, four songs. And then if they liked the songs, I had a deal. Okay. Well, I knew I could write songs. I've been writing songs since I was a snot nosed kid. So yeah. <laughs> not that I already wasn't at that point, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, I knew I could do it. So I was like sitting there just going, man, this is crazy. And right when that thing started to get some legs, the band was like defunct and gone, you know? You know, Bobby Rock was was a part of that, and you know, it was yeah. such a such a, a tormental uh, situation with all that. And Bobby decided to go off and do his thing, and you know, great player, great guy, and uh, you know, it, it's it's a it's funny how life takes you, and and you know, we we still talk, and you know, it, it, I think that you realize if you rub elbows with somebody that long in a tour bus, that there's no reason not to you know, be in touch and yeah, friendly. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of good times there. Yeah. And what happened times, yeah. what happened 30 years ago happened 30 years ago. Well, and you know, he, he, he made a decision. He wanted to be a musical and really, you know, uh, kind of, he was, he was a Berkeley guy. I mean, he's a great player. So it, to him, that. he wanted to get his musical. This is what I do. Yeah. Now, I play guitar, but I'm not a Berkeley guy. Right. You know, and there's a, that level of, of genius that, that, you know, that's not my forte. You know, uh, I, I, I look at things like, uh, it's like Sammy Hagerwood. I play guitar. I love to play guitar, but I still look the same, Yeah, you know, but I love to rip when I get a chance. Absolutely. Know? So the Vinnie Vincent thing went down and then you and Dana said, let's start a band. Well, I had the deal. And I said to Dana, I said, why don't we just do this? We'll get, we'll get a band together and we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll just work together. It's my deal, but we'll split it. Yeah. You produce it. I'll produce it with you. We'll just split everything. And, uh, but we'll treat the new guys how we were not treated. Exactly. So we brought Bloss and Tim in and we, we, we gave them, you know, quarter of the merch. I mean, the things that most bands don't do and, Oh, that's great. And, and we worked together, man. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was good. It was really good for everybody. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's great times, great, great tours. I mean, our first, the first note that the band Slaughter ever played was with Kiss. Gosh. That was our first stage appearance. We didn't. We never. We never went into a club and said, "Okay, let's try this out." I mean, right. it was just like baptism by fire, you know. Just jump in there, guys. In, in and, front of and, kind uh, of a, a big band and everything. Yeah, yeah, eleven thousand people in Lubbock, Texas. It was like, are you kidding? But it was so exciting. And then when we came off the stage, a crazy thing is, is the the uh, record company president was in the dressing room with the gold record to say, hey, congratulations, guys. And I looked at Dana and I said, I think we did okay. 
this is yeah. good. And he says, yeah, I think so too. And, you know, it was just kind of that, you know, the squash side guys that, that, you know, nobody, you know, I think some people took note, but we just went in there and say, man, I think we're, we're going to, we're onto something here, you know? Well, congratulations, by the way, stick it to you. Just turned 31, 31. man. I know, man. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> man. I mean, that, that's, fantastic and you still look like you're 18 you're still freaking right it's awesome man but uh golly what a what a statement man that that record is still just as viable as it ever was it's just you know what it's it i just saw on spotify which pays nothing as you know um that uh we had 10 million plays of fly the angels alone man in one year 10 million plays. And I just go, man, you know, when you write a song, the the highest compliment, what you want to do with your music is to get your music to be a part of somebody's life. It's not the money. It's yeah. to be a part of somebody. And it's just to know that it resonates to people emotionally as music does to me, as music does to you, it's, it becomes, it's more than that. It resonates to that. It heals, it heals, it fixes yeah. the, the things we deal with, you know? And, uh, that's how I, I look at that song. Yeah. I saw on your Instagram that somebody said that they played that song at, I believe it was at their brother's funeral. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow, man. I mean, that's like you say, that touches people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that, that, that song resonated. And I mean, I wrote the song for, you know, a, a gal that I dated in high school who passed away and it was, mm. you know, it, and there's just like one of those things that, that, you know, I went to her funeral. It was like, I, I it's funny. I was looking for her. My friend calls me up and said, I found her, but you're not going to want to hear this or her, her funerals tomorrow. So wow, I wow. dressed in black and I went to her funeral and I walked in and she was a little, you know, uh, real cute girl. And, and, uh, I walked into, uh, everybody loved her and I walked into the, the area, um, you know, her casket was there, but it was just nothing but flowers. And that's when the, and flowers bloom in your name wrote that lyric. Man. So it was kind of like the song as I'm sitting there, is playing in my head. I'm hearing yeah. the, you know, I, I don't know how it works for you, Bart, but sometimes I'll be like two in the morning. I'm like, Oh, not now, man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like somebody turned on the orchestra and they're like tuning up. And you're like, Oh man, I just don't want to do it now, but I got to do it. And you go up and bang, you knock out a song. Yep. And that's, that's how, when, when I was there, that's how that song hit me. Dude. Yeah. Or you, you get out of bed and your wife goes, I know what you're doing. Just go do it. And yet, you yeah, exactly. Gotta, at least you got to find your phone and a guitar to put a, a melody. Right. Down. The idea. Yeah. Man. So like you, like you were saying, Kiss, Ozzy, all these massive tours. I'm sure if you hadn't already, you learned the do's and don'ts of touring and the touring business from these kind of guys that I'm sure still serve you well today. Yeah. And, you know, it, the ones who tour that have been doing it years, you know, whether it be, you know, Kiss, Alice Cooper, Maiden, all these people, it's, it's you run it as a business, yeah. but at the same time, you treat your people right, treat your crew right. Yeah. And what I learned out of the VVI thing was you treat your fans right because, mm-hmm. you know, Vinny just, he, he didn't he just wanted to get out and not yeah. deal with people. And, and I realized when people would tell me, man, all I wanted to do is just say thanks. And, uh, and I realized the fan aspect of what he was, how he was hurting people. Yeah. So when we did slaughter, we, we basically, when we got Bloss and Tim in the band, it was, look, it, you realize you're going to meet more people and shake more hands and kiss more babies than you can even imagine, but that's part of this business. So if you're not yeah. willing to do that, then, you know, you can't, we don't want you to be a part of this. Yeah. So we asked them to be a part of that. And they're like, you know, Tim was a way go-getter. Bloss was, you know, more in, internalized things, but he was great with it. He was, you know, yeah. he's a good guy. So we knew we had two guys that were going to go out there and, and, and be as uh, 
as active as we were. And that was ultimately, if it wasn't for the fans, there would have been no slaughter. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, it's just, you know, and it's not just fans who, you know, listen to your music and say, yeah, it's cool. I like that song. I mean, we're talking about motivated people that would come hang out, have been our friends a lifetime, have come to the shows and we know by name. I mean, yeah. that's kind of how it is with us, yeah. you know? Man. So Slaughter, obviously, I mean, you guys have never stopped working. No, no. But during downtime, you've made some solo records that are awesome. I was listening to one again yesterday. Is there a difference Thanks. musically between your solo stuff and Slaughter stuff? Or you know, again, well, you know, the, the last Slaughter record we did was in 99. Yeah. And, you know, Dana works with Vince Neil, and my band has actually been Vince Neil's band. So right. when they would go off and do shows, I said, well, I'm not going to sit here like a turd. You know, I'm going to do, I'm going to write. So I would just sit around, write songs, write this, do this. And, and is it Slaughter? When I put my voice on it, right. it's the sound of slaughter. But yeah. is it written like that? No, I, I think I've, I write a little different. As you know, Bart, being in Nashville, my, I think my, my writing chops as a writer, you write differently. You mm -hmm. start to analyze things a lot more than when you just would write songs when you're younger. You know, just like, yeah, just throw a lyric in it. We're done. You know, you didn't right. think about it. You got to, something has to resonate. And you realize the things that did work were the things that did resonate uh, with words. And I'm not, I don't even hear words of songs. I could sing a melody to anything, but I don't know the words of nothing. Yeah. I'm like, I'm that guy, go, love, 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 you know, singing the radio. But I don't know any of the lyrics. You know, I don't pay attention to it. But I, I could tell it. you exactly what the bass is doing and where the kick drum is and, Right. You know, where the where the symbol crash is, I I have everything analyzed except for the lyric. Yeah, that's so funny. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he said, "I've heard the ACDC Back in Black album four million times, and I could right. not tell you five percent of the lyrics on that record." Right, right. But he said the same thing. I can play every guitar lick, the bass, right. the cymbal crashes. <sighs> right, right, right. <laughs> because it's and again, it's part played at every party, and is 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 the the staple for you know, every opening, opening any show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your yeah. ACDC going, you know that the show is about to start. Well, yeah. And around here, around Nashville, like you were saying, it's like whether you are writing rock songs or country songs or whatever, you just kind of infectiously start thinking more about stories and start thinking more about lyrics and does everything make sense, you know, and you can go, well, it, it rhymes. It's like, well, yeah, it rhymes, but it doesn't mean it's good. It, yeah. You know, Insect bite fly kite doesn't work, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you, you and Dana were producing all the slaughter stuff and now you're, if I have this right, you're playing everything on your records except the drums and you produce your solo stuff. So do you miss having a band in the room and bouncing it's, feedback off? Of it's each a lot other? faster. Yeah. It's oh, a lot I'm faster. Sure it's a lot faster because, you know, as you're, as we were discussing before, otherwise you rethink it. You don't yeah. come, you, you're, you're always circling going, is that it? I don't know if that, I've got one song that's been in production for years and I keep coming back and going, I'm not crazy about that lyric. I'm not crazy about certain things I keep nitpicking. Yeah. And I just go, it's not the time or, or the song needs to sit. Now's not the time to release it because it's not, it doesn't reflect what's going on. Yeah. Some of the stuff I've written is, is prophetic. I just go, God, man, I can't believe how crazy that is. I have a, right. a song that I wrote, I think it was three years ago with this, with a gentleman named Jamie Millard, who's done some shows with me, bass player. He actually played on my solo record too. He played on half of it. I did oh, all the cool. rest of the bass, but uh, he, uh, uh, I wrote the song called give a funk foundation. And one of the lines on it was uh, <laughs> stimulated. Stim stimulated all the news is so inflated you can't believe all that you see uh can't believe all i see and and then it's like something like uh you're just sitting around sitting on the shitter playing with your twitter 
<laughs> and I just thought, God dang, man, this is like so politically motivated right now. If I would, yeah. you know, but it's like, you know, it's like one of those things you go, God dang, man. And it's, it's really all as political and that, and it's kind of like, I don't want to go, I'm not an activist. I'm not yeah. like, you know, I'm not going to say I'm a liberal. I'm not going to say I'm a Republican. I'm right in between. I think there is a common ground there that nobody wants to admit that there is. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's where my head's at, but that's not where the world's at. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We well, can't win the common ground. No, no, no. So, well, yeah. you can't, you can't monetize it. That's, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. So, so since you're doing all this yourself, are you your own engineer or do you even have an, yeah. an engine? Okay. So you don't even have an engineer in the room with you. No, no. I, in it, I've been doing the software thing with Nuendo since probably, God, oh, yeah, what man. year was that? You and I discussed it yeah. years ago. That's what I started with. And then I you went into e- Cubase and then I, I, I just, I know this stuff. My son calls me up, my oldest son, I'll go, okay, so I have the project. I say, go to the file, drop down in there, it's a new project, set the, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I literally have everything because this roadmap in my head of how to do it. Yeah. Which is if you don't know it to that degree, then you need an engineer because once you start thinking, then the creativity goes. Yeah. So that's the hard part of, of, of being creative. When you start thinking about things, then, the, then it stops the flow. It's yeah. like your left brain is, is you got to balance between the right and the left. So I set up a template and certain things where I can just go, here's a quick template. It's not perfect, but it's enough for me to get the song down. Right. And then if I like what I started with it, then I'll come back and go, okay, this is something. And then I'll build the track to where I was or redo it to a better tempo. And that's how I, how I write. Do you write on electric or acoustic or piano? Both. I see both. Okay. Both and and piano. Sometimes I'll have a, a really cool idea that's that's you know whatever it is that comes up. It might just be a groove with the you know with the drummer and just start playing bass and go. That's a great groove. And yeah, in my mind I'm hearing the guitar. You know, it's almost part of an imagination that you have to imagine when you don't have a band when it's a lot easier when somebody's there and just say, Hey, play the E or right. play the F sharp or whatever, yeah. you know, you can, you can converse that as you're writing, but um, it becomes a lot of looping and other stuff like that also helps a lot because the loopers make it to where you can play with yourself to know if those parts fit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm guessing live, you're still taking out hundred watt heads and four twelves and stuff. What do you do there in your studio? I mean, I'm looking at your studio. Is that connected to your house? Do you, or is that a this is this is one room. It's in the house, and and uh, you know, I have amps, and I have okay, there's there's you know a guy named uh, Kevin Shaw makes amps. You probably know Kevin. Yeah. I've got several of his amps, and uh, and I use Kemper. I have have. Camper you do camper, too. okay, yeah. So, so in with Michael Wagner, there are some profiles that he did years ago, and I worked with uh, Jimmy over top. Jimmy, I got some of his his stuff. I mean, it's it's groundbreaking, but you but you got to know how the how those sounds were put in. Yeah. And I've got so many guitar pedals, I could stop every door, you know, <laughs> five times over in this house with the amount of pedals I've got. In fact, it's in that thing, Steve. I've got a there's a big file thing. It was like, all it is is pedals. That's all and pedals. I still have some out in the barn. Yeah, all pedals. <laughs> and, you know, half the stuff is, is you know, digitally, but there's certain things that come out of an analog side that you can't reproduce yeah. in computer. So right. it's like you, I know what it is, and, you know, and I'll, and, and I'll pull those pedals out when I want to get that real sound instead of the emulation of that. Do you know Michael Britt? I I. I know of him, but I don't know him. Yeah. Well, you know, he does a lot of Kemper. Yeah, he's, stuff, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's used a couple of my uh, Bob Bradshaw CA100s and, and done some stuff. But oh, wow. I was talking to him because I was gifted uh, fractal Axe effects. Right. And we were talking about the difference. And, and I just off the cuff said, I kind of think whichever one you start with, is the one you're going to stay with as, as Mac PC. You're yeah. still going to wind up with the same wave at the end, but exactly. you know, you can argue the degradation of this or that. I, I you know, I know Kemper. So I, exactly. you know, and, and, and it's more of an amp 
profiling. In other words, it copies an amplifier. Yeah. And and there's something that happens camp, and that's when I started really chasing tube amps. And uh, this guy said, "Look, I want you to come in here and play this amp for a second. And you know, it was kind of a rehearsal. Had amps and some high end stuff, and I said, "Okay, that's cool." <clears throat> Says my internet's unstable. Is that you see that? Yeah, oh, I'm good. Yeah, I see it once in a while. I'm like, oh man. I know. We're um, both anyway, so yeah, yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, and so so I I, I went to uh, went into this room. He said, "Don't bring your effects. Just bring your guitar." And I had a uh, yeah, I had a Gibson at the time. They uh, I got an SG from them. One of the few times I had one, and walked in the room, plugged in this amp. Looked like homemade. Didn't look aesthetically. I was like, you know, it's not pleasing to the eye, but I was like, okay. The guy cranks it up to about eight and he goes, play some ZZ Top. And I go, okay. So I start playing ZZ Top and I realize, God, man, this thing sounds great. And this is the perfect tone for that and blah, blah, blah. And then I turned down the volume and, and I said, man, what is that called? And he goes, it's called a train wreck. And I said, oh, and he goes, that's Billy Gibbons amp. Wow. And I was like, Wow, really? And I just sat there like going through, you know, all my ZZ Top repertoire, yeah. you know. But I realized that it was the amp that was just so good. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Kevin made me a train wreck. I wouldn't say a clone, but it's a, a lot like a train wreck. I've got one of those. Right. And if I was just going to plug in and, and play with an amp, but as far as the, the, there's some great uh, train wrecks that are also on in Kemper, you know, that you can find yeah. that people have done some profiles of. I just love it, man. I can see you know? your train wreck back behind you there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right there. That, that guy right there. Yep. That's the one. That's, that's uh, sh- uh, Kevin made that. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's an amazing app. Amazing app. So I always see you with these, I think it's Carlino guitars. Right, right, yeah, Are you, yeah. Is that about, is that your main batch of guitars? It's my main batch, is my main, the main guitars I play are Carlino's. That's um, great. I, I, and he's a great guy and he makes the most amazing straps in the world. I mean, this guy, I don't even know, let me see if you can even pick this up. Here. He makes them for Paul Stanley, all the guys in Kiss, and and uh, this is one of the straps. I don't think you can see it, but it is just absolutely amazing. The back of these things Dang. are soft and just amazing. And I never really cared about straps. You know, I was like, ah, just a strap, just anything. Give me some twine, and I don't care. But <laughs> you know, he makes the nicest straps, and once he ruined me, so. I keep buying his straps all the time. He made one that says up all night. I don't know if you can see it's over the oh, over yeah, yeah. amp. So he made that and uh, that guitar right there. Those That's his. Yeah. That's one of his right there. That's kind of a explorer, explorer style yeah. that he made. And uh, this is kind of a, kind of a V thing. He didn't that's make many so of great. those. And, uh, and uh, yeah, those are great. And, and, if you've ever heard of Fu Tone, do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah. Adam Reaver. Absolutely. Adam Reaver at Fu Tone. He does like a a Floyd upgrade, but he has his own bridges that he right. does now, and he just released his own guitars. And uh, I just got one of his guitars, and it's a, it, it's like a hot rod. You know, it's more for the yeah. the shredders and that, but it's such a versatile guitar. It does everything. Man, yeah. really, really is amazing. I love guitars, amps. Yeah, I got about forty of them. I'm looking at in here, but I gotta keep. I try to keep the herd down to forty. If I don't use something in a two year period, I try to get rid of it. That way, I don't have a bunch of door stops. You know, I had a buddy. It, it gets crazy, you know. Yeah. Well, you run out of room. Yeah, and then you're just kind of like it. You know, you feel bad. It's like you know, oh man, that girl. She never gets anything. She just sits there. She's got dust on her, and you start feeling bad. It's like, how can you? How can you make this piece of, you know, something that's not doesn't have living, breathing in it at all, and you're still making it a person, so to speak? You know, somebody you, should you love your her, gear. That's how it is. You know? Absolutely, and somebody should make her feel special. That's right. That's right. And uh, going back, 
a little ways. You said, uh, and I've heard you say this before, you said it's the entertainment industry, not the right. talent show. No, it's or, not. And it's not, no. it's the music business. It's not the music friendship. So, music fun, yeah, exactly. So music fun. So what, yeah. what does all that mean to you? Like, Well, I think that you get to a point where you, you kind of go, well, you know, you have to take care of business. You, you know, you got you to gotta treat the business as a business. And, and, and it's hard that you, as a musician, because emotionally, and, and you know this as a musician yourself, you play on anybody's stuff for nothing because you love it. Yeah. You know, I've done a lot of for things sure. this, this, this year that I go, God, man, it's like, there's no money in it, but, but it's a love and it's a, and, you know, what else are you going to do? keep yourself yeah. busy and make some really, really great, you know, some great tracks. I had a, a wonderful experience. Uh, this guy, Josh, who played on my halfway there record. Um, he's a drummer. We went to high, we went to high school together. His dad was Sammy Davis's musical director. Wow. His, and, uh, and, uh, and, and Louis Prima as well. He was responsible for uh, getting Streisand into Vegas. I mean, we're talking old, old stuff here, but him, you know, we grew up together and we, we you know, I, I, I have a love for jazz and jazz fusion and that stuff that I grew up with because that's what was around. That's who was teaching us how to play when I was younger. And, and uh, there was a opportunity, a gentleman named Mark Craney, who was a drummer for uh, Jethro Tull and also Gino Vanelli. Um, had oh, passed yeah. and, and Josh was good friends with him. And he said, it's one of these days I'm going to do a tribute to Mark because he's such a good guy. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. And I say, cool, cool. And then this lockdown happened. He said, Hey man, I really want to do this. He owns a studio called the steakhouse or has oh, a room yeah. in the steakhouse. And, and I said, okay, well let's do it. And so he got uh, Jimmy Haslip, uh, the original bass player who played oh, yeah. on that. From the Yellow Jacket. Yellow Jacket. I mean, yeah. We're talking the amazing, you know, talent. Josh played drums. Um, they got Joe Vanelli on on uh, on uh, keys, and you know, man, uh, it's just. I mean, everybody involved in it was just amazing, and and uh, I got a chance to really woodshed and some stuff that that uh, I I haven't played in years, and it was a blast to do, you know, oh, I bet. and very challenging too. So. You know, that's it's called the Mark Craney Project. If you look on YouTube, there's a, a video of it and stuff, and then of the song. There's no nobody did a video, but you know, great players on this thing too, man. Just man. just blast to be a part of. Well, you're the kind of guy though. If if you never get to make another record, if you never get to play another show, you're always going to be writing and playing because that's, that's right. just who you it's, are. It's who I am. It's what I do when I'm still learning and still. You know, last night, you know, learning. It's just one of those things. If it's in you, and you, you just never are just satisfied with. You know, I'm always looking to be a better musician. Yeah. So, in that, I think I'm always striving for new ways and new ideas and new uh, transitions and 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 that type of stuff. You know, and again, you get to the song, and you know, half the stuff never. You know, ninety percent of it never applies, but you might be able to pull it out of your box, and just people go, "Man, where'd that come from?" And you go, "Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's because they sit around and, and and watch tutorials and stuff for no reason." You know, I remember being in a writing session. I shattered all the bones in my left wrist, and as mm -hmm. I was coming back, I had to relearn playing guitar, which was a lot harder than wow. I thought because you had the knowledge in your head, but I couldn't get it to my wrist. Right, and so I would when I was thinking, I would constantly be what I, my version of shredding, which is about half the speed of everybody else's uh -huh. or just playing tons of passing chords and stuff. And finally my co-writer looked at me and goes, you don't have to try to put every chord in every song. It's like, no, oh, yeah, no, right. no, that's it. The simplicity of it is the key yeah. point. You know, it, I, I learned something, uh, in, in jazz years ago. And, uh, I had a really great music teacher, I mean, Angelo Stefanelli, and he, he would say, look, man, he goes, when it's your time, stand out and take it. And when it's not your time, be a part of it. And, oh, man, and he that's said, great. And he said, if you're, and this is what, this is my teacher in, in junior high school, seventh grade, 
of him telling me this. And he goes, somebody's got the melody. Somebody's got the bouncing ball. But if it's not your time to dribble, <laughs> don't try to steal the ball. That's And awesome. so the way I write is really of who's got the ball. Is it the guitar player or is it the vocalist? Or what? Who? Who's really the responsible part of the of the the ear earwig that's just eating at your ear that won't yeah. let go of the real true melody that is simplistic that you can't forget. And so you know, like even up all night is just you know it's it's an easy da 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 da. I mean that's just right up a scale and right back down and yeah. and it did great for us, you know. Yeah, think if you think about it, it couldn't be more, couldn't be more, uh, you know, simplistic. You know, but you're right. Sometimes you just got to figure out a new way to stay out of your own way. Yeah, and I think it really comes down to the bouncing ball. If you yep. if you think of it in those terms, you know, of what the melody is, if then you're never out overstepping it. Now, a lot of times, you know, like Josh will send me a track to play on somebody's you know, in a project he's recording out in LA, he sends me the track here. I do it here and send it back to him. Right. First thing I do when I get it, I shred on it about two or three times through and get it out of my system. Yeah. And then, then I, then, then I approach it different. It's funny. Once you get that out of your system, then you're like, okay, so now the teenager's out of the room. Let's, let's look at what matters. Right. And you just, you just have to do that. I mean, it's just what you do. And some of that might stick. You never know. Well, you come, you brush across something, go, oh, that's good. Yeah. And you know it. You know, if you're recording it, you know, you can catch it. And sometimes you just know that works, that works, and, and it stays in your head. If it stays in your head, then that's a good thing. Then you yeah. know you have the bouncing ball, the right. melody that's going to actually resonate and go forward. So what is Seven Angels? Seven Angels is Josh, the, okay. the gentleman I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, uh, guy named Bob Reynolds and uh, Jesse on bass. And, you know, they write songs and, and, you know, he threw me the, the track and I go, I go, man, I said, do you mind if I redo all the guitars? And he goes, yeah, man, that's what I was hoping you'd do. You know, Josh knew me in high school as a guitar player, not okay. just a singer. So he actually reaches out to me for, for guitar tracks. So I said, well, look, I'm going to do a really page influenced mindset here and he goes do whatever you think needs to happen so i wrote the melody in the front part of it and uh in the midsection and and the you know the, a lot of the rhythm parts are already you know established but mm -hmm. i did my you know i did what i thought you know what would page do i would do in that and that was my approach in that whole mindset but then you know when i get into the solo then you know steve lukather and yeah, you know, Hampton or whoever it is that, that that I might have learned a passage from will come out, but for the most part, it's really it's Telecaster. Again, you know, most people don't realize it that that, that uh, Jimmy Page played a Telecaster more than he played a Les Paul. Yeah, on all those records. Yeah, in fact, a B Bender on in uh, on uh, in the evening and all that. Oh yeah, from that out. Dude, that's so crazy you say that because I just wrote down after listening to the Seven Angels stuff, I said, your tone playing is very reminiscent of early Jimmy Page. Very cool. I said, telly, question marks. I mean, that you were, I mean, yeah. if that's what you it's were actually, thinking. Yeah, yeah. It's where I was going. Totally and Forrest Lee, yeah, Forrest Lee uh, Jr., guitars, um, he built me the Telecaster I used with the B-Bender, the best B-Bender in the world, best telly. I just love that guitar. I mean, just a great guitar. It's nice. I tell him, I said, I, I don't even want to take it out on the road because I, I cherish this guitar so much. Right. Because I could build you. And I'm, oh, man. I just love this guitar, you know. It's just so rock and roll. And, again, it's country and jazz and such a versatile. I think it's probably one of my favorite guitars and the versatility Yeah, is, is that guitar. But, you know, in the band Slaughter, the Carlino, the rock and roll, the, the yeah. you know, that's just that heavy, you know, it's, you a, it's a, a totally different animal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the more choices I have, the more often I go back to a Les Paul and a Telecaster. Right. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Your, your beef. And, and the other thing I learned, which is really interesting. I, I, this guy, I was out on the road, I buy stuff on the road. So I'm, we're traveling through and I'm combing Craigslist. Oh, we're going to be in Arizona. <laughs> Let me look on Craigslist. So, you know, looking at what I'm going to spend my money on before I even get paid. And I'm like, and I'm looking and I go, wow, that, that studio is really cheap. The studio last Paul. So, and it was the same year as Blando's. Oh, okay. like, oh man, I'd love to have one of that for my, for, for me. So I bought the guitar. The guy brought it to the gig. I paid him the money, plugged it in, put strap locks on. I was like, I'm going to play this thing tonight. We did sound check. It completely canceled out the tone because it was the same. Oh, totally. wow. When I played, I would disappear. I realized why Malcolm would do that and Angus would play this or Joe Perry would do this and right. you know, Woodford would Bradley, do that. I mean, yeah. you, you, you start, yeah, you start to go, okay. So if you add a telly to a Les Paul, that's the magic because you're not competing to the same frequencies right. in the mix. And it's harder when you're trying to, you know, mix it. You go, God, man, I can't get this. You're fighting it all the time. Yeah. If you just do that, then there's no, it's not fighting itself. And it's, it just makes sense because one's at a different uh, frequency. So you don't have that, you know, the thing canceling it out. That's so, so funny. That really changed a lot of, of how I record. Oh man. Yeah. Especially like if you use like a super overdriven Mesa boogie or something that by itself sounds so great. Right. Put it in the track and it's just like, where did it go? Right, because there's right. so many frequency cancellation. That's yeah, that's amazing. And then you could, you know, again, you 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 know, I do a thing a lot of times. If if the guitar's not where I want to be, simple EQ thing, I'll bump two hundred. Yeah, I just bring it up, and all of a sudden, there's my guitars. Okay, there it is. But then the other guitars start, you know, they start to disappear. So, you know, there's there's everybody's got their ways of doing it, but but uh, you know, that's what I found you know, for the most part. And that's why I have the, the combination of those type yeah. of guitars here. Do all your Carlinos have essentially the same pickups in them or are they all um, different? Yeah, bands? they're all, well, I have some that have a, a pariah pickups in it. There's a, a guy in Detroit that, that does, he makes pickups that are, you know, customized. Mm -hmm. And I have some, he calls them the Pasadena. It's very Eddie Van Halen. Okay. So, you still get that chunk on the bottom, but it seems to sit pretty well, especially next to Blando. So that seems to be my perfect spot when he's not using a Carlino because it's the same pickup. So sometimes right. I put those in, so we're not having that competing thing. Yeah, I've got I've got uh, those. I've got my I've got my original uh, uh, Hamer that I that I used to teach with that I got from Paul Hamer as a kid. Yeah, and I taught guitar and Paul Hamer. I just just found the letter the other day that he sent me a thing saying thanks for introducing all your students to Hamer guitars. Wow. And I was the guy that went and played at Nam at his booth. Really? So he said, "Can you come down to Nam and just play at my booth? Just come out, and just just rip for for hours. You know, you just do it from this time to that time." And I would sit there, and you know, you know, Brad Gillis would go by, and I'd be like. You know, kind of, you know, I mess with the guitar players as they went by of like, you know, kind of doing the, you know, which you bring them in and they talk to Paul, which is what Paul loved. And, exactly. And, but, uh, you know, I'm a gear slut it is what it is, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, you're such an inside guy and you have been forever. Is there anything you can tell us about shows and touring? Is it going to open up at all this year or does it all, there, is it all you know, vaccine? it's, they keep, I, I say they keep kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we have shows last year, man, we were just on this roll and it was just like, I had a whole tour. We had casino dates in between and fairs. I mean, it was like, you know, probably our biggest schedule in, you know, in years since yeah. the, the history of the band. And yeah. then this happened. So, um, as far as that goes, there's a few shows that are going to, finding their way and, and yeah. until they really, you know, to me, I'd, until they know that they're, they've got a vaccine or something going, the casinos won't put their 
there are people at risk. Right. And it really is a hard thing because we're the last, we're the most non-essential of all things um, <laughs> in this, in this whole side of it. And everybody will have their shots before we do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and, and again, it's like, you know, I don't know when it's going to happen. I'm sure it will happen at some point, but it really is everybody getting on board and, 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 you know, doing, doing what's right, which is, you know, trying to keep this thing under control. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, if everybody does that, then I think we'll be, we'll be, we'll be fine. But right now, man, it's just, I, our first show that we have at this point is April 3rd. So we're still months out. And then, you know, then the latter part of the year, we've really backloaded the back part of the year. So there's a lot of lot of shows, but yeah, not not until that time. I suppose it could be expensive too, as far as insurance for venues, insurance for you. I mean, it's just it's going to be a well, whole and, world. And, the, and it's also a mindset that you just know that you know. Again, these are our friends that we've known for years. Yeah. We don't want to put them at harms in harm's way because of. Uh, you know, our, our, our greed, so to speak, you know, we want to work, but we want to do it properly. You know, we want to make sure that everybody has a good time and walks out going, man, that was great. And I needed that just as much as we need it. Absolutely. Um, But you know, we'll, we'll have to exercise those demons when we can do that and (laughs) nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets their eye poked out or gets COVID. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Which are both bad things. Well, man, mm-hmm. do you want to do my thinking and drinking lightning round? Okay, shoot. This is just, I'm just going to hammer a question and just whatever pops into your head is the answer. Okay. What's your favorite book? Bible. Nice. Are you a bath or a shower guy? Shower. What's the last gift you gave someone? Last gift, a guitar. Sweet. Yeah, my friend Mike, Michael Sterto from uh, Lou Graham's. Oh, cool! And I had—I actually had one of Michael Britt's V's, and I was like, I, "I'm never using this. I got my Carlino. I'm good." So I called him out and said, "Dude, I got a guitar. Come get it." So he came down here, and he's got it now. Nice, nice. What was the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a T-shirt? Um, first show I saw was Kenny Loggins. Sweet. And uh, I did not get a T-shirt. My mom took me to that show, and then it was heart after that. So the you know so it, it's didn't get a T-shirt there, but I got to meet Ann and Nancy, which is pretty cool. Yeah, as no a kid. Kidding. Yeah. If money was no object, what guitar would you buy? If money was no object, you know, there's there's one that I actually if that's a kind of a trick question because I'm, I'm such a, a conservative guy with, with, know. you know, not doing it. So I always look at what makes sense. Um, I actually got a guitar that Rick Nielsen is doing with Eddie, with Eddie oh. Carlino. Okay. And, and uh, it is a one pickup Explorer style, like Rick's 58. He said oh, it's yeah. equal to, if not as good as, or better than, his 58 Explorer. And of course, Rick's out there telling all of his friends, Slash is going to get one. I'll have one. Um, You know, who are Billy Gibbons, you know, a whole bunch of his cats, but that's his V that's his Explorer. That's kind of his thing. And I discovered Karina wood, um, which is an amazing wood for guitars. So I really am trying to go with a lot of guitars with Karina wood because I really love the tone and what it does. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been like a thing for me. So will that guitar be Karina Wood? It won't be black and white checker, right? No, it'll okay. it'll just be Karina Wood. Yeah, Good. it's just like exactly. Like, and, the, and the neck joint on it is just amazing. He redesigned the neck joint to where it just resonates like nobody's business. It's great. One uh, pickup, nice and crunchy. Nice. What's the favorite song that you wrote or sang on? Um. Well, obviously, you know, I go, I'd say Fly the Angels is yeah. still my favorite that I, that I wrote and sang on um, because of the emotional impact on others. Yeah. Ulti- ultimately, good. I think that when it becomes a song that you share with people, it's, you know, it's a, it's a gift. Yeah, no doubt. What uh, song do you wish you would have written or sang on? 
Uh, let's see. Well, I know Steve Cropper and Doc of the Bay. He sure has made a lot of money on that. So that would be one. I'll just, I guess I'll, I'll go to Steve on that one. <laughs> Steve for the big bucks. <laughs> so what are you listening to for fun these days? Um, I'm listening to a lot of guitar player stuff. Um, a guy named Luca, uh, who I follow on, uh, on, face, on uh, Instagram great player. Uh, I'm just really going into the players. I love Larry Carlton as a jazz player. Oh, man. Um, so I've been really revisiting the stuff that I love that I, I used to play when I was young. Yeah. And it really is something that, that it sparks a lot of creativity because it, it takes you back to where you were, brings back yeah. good memories, you know? So I've been, I've been really kind of dabbling into that a lot. You know, that's, that's my main thing. Obviously the rock and roll stuff when I'm driving my, my truck, I listen to, you know, your standard, you know, Zap, ACDC, Dash, you know, Shaka Khan. You know, I go all over the, I'm all over the map, man. Right. I really am. Vocally, if you listen to my voice, it's Shaka Khan, Aretha Franklin all day long. That's, 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 that's what, where I get my licks from. That's what pops into my head. At first yeah, there. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I forgot to take a picture. I got to take a picture. So can you? Smile, yay. Perfect, perfect, thank you. Um, and uh, just, I was going to say what's next, but we kind of already talked about that. Yeah, I think, you know, it, what's next is, is what, you know, I think we're all, as musicians, you're just trying to be a part of something special. Yeah. Um, or to to add add some life to a track or to, you know, to put something in a place where it hasn't been musically. And, you know, that's, that's, that's really where I'm at. I mean, I'm, I, I, I really am enjoying playing. I mean, the, the, believe it or not for the COVID side for me has been great as a player because I've really gone into some flamenco stuff and stuff I haven't done in years. And, oh, man. and, 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 and it's just because I love it. You know? yeah. Am I going to ever use it on stage? Absolutely not. Right. You know, it, as an entertainer, it's not like I'm going to go in there and say, okay, you know, I got this great polka you guys are like, you know, you, you, you're there to play a rock and roll show. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's what it's about. But all that stuff, you know. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. But also the flamenco stuff and the Larry Carlton stuff, that might unlock a melody. Oh, absolutely. That, that you never absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of my, you know, and again, as we were discussing on the Seven Angels stuff, and I just played another track of guitar on uh, another track that they they wrote, and then I added some other parts to it, wrote some stuff to it. Um, but I really like getting the tone of the time frame of how I hear the song. So I'm really getting into mm. like tone chasing to the stuff that I like so that it adds that element of believability within the track instead yeah. of just playing a track down and going, that's cool. And it's just a big crunchy, you know, diesel. That's you look at the song and who the influences of the song is about or that you interpret. And then yeah. you put that in, then you put that tone in it. Then the believability is just there period. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You got to play for the song. You got to write for the song. Right. Right. Absolutely. So Real quick, going back, uh, I see your camper there. Have you put a bunch of your amps into your camper? I've got, I've got uh, Blandos. I've got some of my own. Okay. I've got some that I got with Michael, and I, I took some of my Wizards that I had from oh, years yeah. ago, and and we did those. And you know, it it really makes things a lot easier in a box here that I don't have to turn the amp up to 10, oh, you know, man. to really get the tone out of it. So I, you know, yeah. it makes my ease of operation for what I do can be at three in the morning and put a pair of headphones on. And, uh, you know, I get lost, you know, with headphones, you know, yeah. big time. I know our wives enjoy Kempers and fractals. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's a quiet time. So you go in time out and go do your thing. And then when you, when you're straighten up, come on back over. Right. Well, as far as your socials, you're at markslaughter.com and on Instagram, markslaughterofficial. Right. Is there anything else? 
Uh, Facebook is official Mark, official Mark Slaughter, I think it is okay. on, on Facebook. And, uh, I just, you know, and I know I should be more driven on Facebook. You know, I, I just, you know, it's almost a narcissistic thing that you have to put out there. This is me. This is my lunch. This is what I, I just yeah. don't buy into that. I yeah. mean, you know, I have a picture of my dog or something stupid because that's what I enjoy the day. I put yeah. things that I enjoy in life more than, than, uh, than, you know, any of like, Hey, here's me again. <laughs> Not right. that you haven't seen me before, you know? <laughs> yeah. So This time I'm eating a cheeseburger. Yeah. This is me eating a cheeseburger. <laughs> Washing it down with a good rock star, which I have right here front and center. I know it, dude. Yeah. I love those. Oh good man. Stuff. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you. And Thank talk you, to you, Bart. Good, to, good to uh, catch up. We'll be catching up after this. Uh, you know, it's certainly one of those things that you know. I was actually talking to Todd Kearns the other day, and I said, you know, it's funny. You you go through life, and you realize, you know, once you hit fifty, you realize you have this quantity of all these people in your life, and you just go, well, who's the quality? And you yeah. really just hone it down to the, your friends that are your friends and know who you really are instead of who they interpret or what their agenda is, not agenda-based people. And that's when you find that and when you play with the players that, that, that you know, are your friends in that, in that family of the close-knit friends, that's where life is. And that's where yeah. I'm at right now, you know. Not, really not that I'm becoming, not that I'm becoming, you know, standoffish, but I'm just relishing in the fact that I love that. And I love, you know, those relationships. That's what's important in life right now. You know, there's definitely a difference between uh, an acquaintance and a friend. That's correct. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, man, thank you again. I'll talk thank to you, you soon. Absolutely. All right. See you, buddy. Thanks, man. See Bye-bye. you soon.